As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Do you ever dream of starting something game-changing? Then Visa can help make it happen. Maybe it's creating and selling your own customized kicks for cats, or transforming your dorm into a plushy pop-up shop. Or finally going mainstream with your streaming side hustle. The NFL is full of game changers. Just think about watching Patrick Mahomes during his MVP season and knowing as you watched every single game that the league was never going to be the same. Whatever you're bold enough to try, Visa has the power to help bring your game-changing ideas to life. Visa. Anyone can change the game. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Wednesday, September 7th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Aaron, how you doing? Hey, it is so good to be on the show. So happy to do it. I've done plenty of promotion for the Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, and I believe this is it. <laughs> this is the big final preseason. We're going to actually play some games soon. This is the big show, so I'm psyched to do it. I am so glad we're close. I, I'm i trying to think of the first time I ever bought the Football Outsiders Almanac. And I'm fairly certain it was before the 2008 season. Was that the year where Namdi Asamoa was on the cover? It may have been and when it, we were still called Pro Football Prospectus. Because that's correct. Because I did the book under contract with Baseball Prospectus. And so... We had pictures of players, actual players on the cover, and Namdi Asamoah was one of them, yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was the year when Namdi Asamoah was on the cover. I was in college. There was a service back then through Football Outsiders where you could get fantasy football advice. And yes. I think you had to pay for it. And the person who gave you the fantasy football advice was this nerd named Bill Barnwell, who would send you the options that were best for you in your lineup that week by email. And this is when I was like 21 years old and I, I didn't obviously didn't know Barnwell and had never worked with him before, but I have emails from Barnwell 
deep, deep in my personal Gmail inbox from Football Outsiders in like 2009. Yeah, people don't realize how deep the rabbit hole goes on my coaching tree of people who used to be in Football <laughs> Outsiders. Like Barnwell, of course, Bill Connolly is at ESPN now, uh, Michael David Smith from Pro Football Talk, and Ryan Wilson from CBS, and David Gardner used to be out with Sports Illustrated. I'm not exactly sure where he is now, and Andy Benoit from the Rams, and it's just like a ridiculous number of people have come through Football Outsiders in 20 years. So I'm still here. And it's gone back 15 years that I have read that book. I still do it. I still read it every single year. If you guys have not picked it up, it is my favorite NFL preview of the season. Aaron does such a great job of finding guys you know, to write chapters. Even people, you've done such a great job, like Sean McVay, of replenishing the staff over the years. Dan Pizzuta from Sharp Football, who does so much great work that I love. I I joke that every time Dan writes something, I was thinking about it that week. He did some chapters for you guys this year. Derek Klassen, who we had on the show earlier this week, did the NFC North for you guys. Really good deep dives on every single team. Indispensable information. If you guys had not checked it out, I highly encourage you guys to make the Football Outsiders Almanac part of your preseason reading every single year. Yeah, absolutely. Still, the actual book itself is still available, but if you don't want to wait for that to be shipped, if you become a subscriber to our premium service, which is called FO Plus, you can go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe and learn about everything that's part of that. One of the things that's part of that is a download of the Almanac so you can get it right now and make sure you read it before the season starts. Or you can use it early in the season. There's just tons of great stuff in there. So I highly encourage you guys to go check that out. We are rounding out our preview on the Athletic Football Show today. And we are ending with the AFC East, a division that you know pretty darn well as a Patriots fan yourself. So I'm very glad we got you on here to kind of kick us off here and get us close to the season. Yeah, I mean, I think it may be a more interesting division than people might realize, you know, even though everybody knows who's going to win it. The other teams have interesting things about them. Well, the Jets might not, but we'll get to that. I think the Jets are very interesting. We're going to dig into this. I think there's a lot to say about all of these teams. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm much more excited about this than I was about some of the other divisions that we there, had. There is actually a surprising amount. There's a, a surprisingly amount to say about the Jets. Yeah. All right. So let's start here with the Buffalo Bills. We've kicked out all of these team previews with one simple question, and that's how are you feeling about this team at this stage now a day before the season? So let's ask that question for the Bills. How are you feeling about the Bills one day before we kick off the season, one day before they kick off their season against the Rams? Confident. Like that's, I mean, if you could summarize the Bills experience for this year in one word, it's confident. They are really good and really deep and really balanced. They're a top five projected offense, defense, and special teams in our projections, and almost every position group, I mean, not quarterback, but what you know, what are you going to do? Almost every position group has a lot of depth, except for quarterback and maybe cornerback. Like, they just are set up to win. This is their best shot, and you that should come with some confidence, but for me, it almost comes with a sense of dread because with the way the season ended last year and the 13 seconds, and we can talk about it forever. I was there and I remember rewatching the game a couple weeks ago. We were NFL network was on my TV and we were switching back and forth between a movie and the TV and the end of the game came on. And my fiance was sitting next to me on the couch and she had no idea what was going to happen. 
So we watched like the final five minutes of what happened in the 13 seconds and reliving that with someone who had never seen it was wild. But seeing the Bills sideline after that moment and just how crushing it all felt, that team last year was so good. It was a Super Bowl caliber team and they have run back another Super Bowl caliber team, but this is their best chance. Josh Allen has a $16.3 million cap hit this year. It goes to 39 next year. Diggs goes from 11 million to 20 million. All that wiggle room that they've enjoyed over the last couple of seasons and being able to build what I think is arguably the best, deepest roster in the entire league, that starts to shrink next year. And it's just little ways. You know, Jordan Poyer is going to be a free agent. You start to lose really nice pieces like that by necessity. And that leads to what I see as a ton of pressure. I just think there's a real onus on them to do it this year. And I think that comes. I don't know, with the feeling of if we don't do it now, are we ever going to do it? Well, I would hope that the players have the wherewithal to withstand that kind of pressure. I mean, they're professionals, and what we want in our professional athletes is the ability to withstand that kind of pressure. I know that the problem with the Bills last year was massive inconsistency, yeah. and we haven't found any, uh, we haven't found any evidence that inconsistency is consistent. <laughs> In other words, teams that are really inconsistent one year aren't necessarily inconsistent the next year. So just because they were blowing games to the Jaguars last year doesn't necessarily mean they will this year. Um, they ended up number two in our ratings last year. So, I mean, I, they, they're our number one projected team. And I, for Bill's fans, I mean, I would hope, you know, not to sound like an entitled Patriots fan here, but be optimistic. Feel like you've got the team like don't feel that feeling of dread like oh my god something bad always happens to us something bad's going to happen to us this time feel confident you guys are the favorites like have that confidence going into the season yes there's lots of randomness in the nfl and some team will come from out of nowhere like the Bengals did last year and they're going to challenge you and of course you're going to get challenged by the chiefs and the chargers and the Ravens. but feel that confidence and enjoy the season because it should be very enjoyable for Bills fans. For all these teams, we're, we're starting off the offense and defense with a big question on each side of the ball. So what is the biggest question you have about the Bills offense heading into this year? I think the biggest question about the Bills offense is the right side of the offensive line. Uh, Ryan Bates is okay, but he's not somebody that anybody really talks about. That's the right guard. And the right tackle is now going to be David Quessenberry who last year was with uh, Tennessee, I believe, and he was 32nd out of 40 qualifying right tackles and snaps per blown block and allowed 6.5 sacks by the numbers that we have. So he's not very good. He's like the weakest part of their offense, I think, for this year. So, I mean, on a team with not a lot of questions, I think that's the biggest question. So I think Cuisenberry played some this offseason at right tackle when Spencer Brown was not starting because Spencer Brown was hurt a little bit. I have to assume that when everyone's healthy and all things are equal, Brown's probably going to start there. And he was pretty inconsistent as a rookie last year when he was kind of thrust into that spot. 
So right, the right side so- of the line, I think, is absolutely the answer in terms of positionally on this team. Because Bates came on late, but he's somebody that hasn't played a ton of football at a high level in the NFL, even if the Bears were trying to sign him to a long-term deal this offseason. I-, I think that's a huge one. That- that's definitely the second one that I had. You look at what happened last year. Josh Allen had the best pressure to sack percentage in the NFL last season. 10.6% of his pressures turned into sacks. That was pretty comfortably the best mark in the league. Patrick Mahomes was second. Allen was almost the exact same number in 2020. So there is some evidence to say that Josh Allen's very good at mitigating pressure. And even if we have concerns about the offensive line and pure dropback situations, he's the type of guy that can mitigate it. But if you're looking at the strengths of the roster and the weaknesses, the offensive line from left to right clearly is the worst part of this team. Roger Saffold steps in as a 30-something left guard. He has not been great in pass protection situations over the last couple of years. Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates. Interior offensive line depth is a pretty big issue. You know, Greg Van Roten is here, but they traded away Cody Ford. So if you're trying to figure out why would this go wrong for the Bills, I think the offensive line, the starting group, and what might happen with a couple injuries is probably where I would start. I never understood this obsession with the Bills running backs. Like, especially around draft time, there was this obsession about, oh, the Bills have to draft a running back. The Bills have to draft a running back. I mean, they did, and it made their running back room even stronger, but Singletary is a good player. He breaks tackles. And I don't think we've seen enough of Zach Moss to say Zach Moss is good or bad. Zach Moss kind of just is, and Cook has a lot of talent. So I think there are Bills fans who, when asked what the problem with this team is, would say running back, but I don't think that that's the case at all. No, I don't think so either. And with James Cook, you could argue that they overspent for this specific sort of skill set, they wanted a running back that could give them juice after the catch in the passing game. That, that was a huge part of their priority list this offseason because if you look at the way that teams are playing against them, Nate and I talked about this a little bit in our top 10 offenses show a couple weeks ago, teams are forcing them to check the ball down. If you look at the numbers last year, Josh Allen went from 8.92 air yards per attempt against cover two in the first half of the season to 4.56 in weeks 10 through 18. Think about that second Patriots game where human beings could throw a football. He checked it down over and over and over and again. McKenzie and McKenzie just they, killed the Patriots over, yeah. over and over again, yes. And in the backs, too. He was taking the easy ones, and he was taking the layups. And I think that part of their thinking with adding somebody like James Cook was, all right, if we're going to give him the layups, we want somebody that can turn that four-yard completion into a 15-yard gain, so it encourages him to keep taking them. And you could argue that maybe you don't need to spend a second-round pick in order to do that, but I do think that was what the Bills were thinking this spring. The Bills chapter of Football Outsiders Almanac talks about the idea that the Bills were in position to do things that analytics may not necessarily like because they're so close to the ring <laughs> that they just needed, they had a couple of holes that needed to be filled. So, you know, if they needed to overpay a little bit for a cornerback in the first round, that's fine. If you needed to take a running back in the second round, even though uh, analytics would say to wait on that, that's fine. They're so close to the brass ring that like they, they had to, they, they could do things that you might not necessarily think is the best use of resources because those were the holes they needed to fill. The last thing I'll say about the offense, the question that I have is, what does this transition to Ken Dorsey look like? Because what they've done over the last few years under Brian Dable and what they've developed into, 
this offense was fantastic and they did such a great job of tapping into what made Josh Allen great. And then even at the end of last season, tapping into what they needed to be being this really spread out team for a good chunk of the year. And then saying, you know what? We have to pivot here because we have to have another answer to what defenses are doing against us. The amount of 21 personnel they used the back half of the season, how they threw the ball out of those looks when they went a little bit heavier. I really think they found something. And Brian Dable's ability on a week-to-week basis and over the course of a season, being able to really program this offense to the strengths of its players, can Ken Dorsey do that? Going back to pass protection, Dable is notorious with guys who've played for him. Talked to Pat with Pat DeMarco about this when we did our show about the first-year head coaches earlier this summer. He did such a good job of tapping into how teams are going to attack their protection schemes and articulating those protection schemes in a really simple way for guys. Does that continue with a new offensive line coach and a new coordinator? Just all of these questions that now kind of start to pile up when you move on from someone who did such a fantastic job in really building Josh Allen and this unit to that spot. And there's no way for us to know that until the games actually start. Yeah, my confidence is at least that Dorsey was there, right? So Dorsey's yes. been there the last couple of years. He's learned under on continuity. Dayball. He's worked with Dayball. He's going to do the same system as Dayball. So that they're not starting something new here. So that is where my confidence would lie. But I agree with you. Offensive line coach is sort of an underrated position. Look at, we'll get to the Patriots in a second, but look at what happened when Dante Scarnecchia retired the first time and their offensive line fell apart and they had to call him back. So Um, I don't think we talk enough about offensive line coaches. So that is a question. I agree. I'm curious how the offensive personnel is going to shake out. They, when they signed OJ Howard this spring, I was like, ah, I'm going to see a little bit more two tight end stuff with Dawson Knox potentially. And then they cut OJ Howard before the season starts. This team finished dead last in the amount of 12 personnel they used last year. It was like six and a half percent of snaps. And based on the moves that they made, I expect that to continue. I think we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel with McKenzie, Gabe Davis, and Diggs on the field together, which is very exciting. Yeah. I, I really think that group has something. And then I think they're going to lean into that 21 stuff they did with Reggie Gilliam at the end of last season. I think swipping, swapping between those two things is what I would guess we see from that. And a little bit of 10, if I remember correctly. Yes. Only Arizona runs four wide more often than Buffalo does, and they can either bring in Khalil Shahir for uh, for speed or bring in Jamison Crowder to get another shifty uh, slot guy. Again, speaks to the depth that this team has, the fact that they have that sort of option. So a lot of receivers on the field and a fullback on the field. That was the recipe last year. I assume they'll be going with a similar recipe because, like you said, they're carrying over the offensive coordinator from that staff for, for a reason. And it's because whatever they were doing in the past has been working. Let's get to the defense here. Biggest question you have about the Bills' defense heading into the season. Is the cornerbacks, absolutely. Number one, what do you get out of Ka'ir Elam? He is a rookie, and rookie first-rounders do well, but how well? You know, there's a lot of of range of possibilities there. The other is, when does Tredavious White come back, and is he Tredavious White when he comes back? Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. How do you survive for the first at least four games of the season because that's he's on the pup list. He's going to be out for at least the first four games. And beyond Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford, who they drafted late in this year's draft, was really good in camp. How does he fit into the mix? You know, Dane Jackson, I think, is penciled in as the other starting corner right now. While White is out, and then even after he gets back, 
how do the cornerback snaps eventually crystallize by the end of the year? What does your starting cornerback group look like when White is out and then after he comes back by the time you need to make a playoff push? So, And the other thing combined with that, this team was really, really, really good on defense last year. They played a horrendous slate of quarterbacks last season. I think you guys had them as yeah, the 31st. Yeah, but I think we had them number one even after adjusting for opponent. We had them as the number one defense. Sure. And I, I think that's a, obviously you guys adjust for opponent, but I think you guys had them with a 31st ranked slate of offenses last season. Something and, like that, yeah. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, it's very, it was hard to find them playing against a normal team when you look back at the 2021 Bills schedule. And I know they get to play against the AFC East again this year. But I still think that's something to consider when you look at how good they were on defense last year, especially when we have concerns about what that cornerback group looks like early in the season. They're playing against Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford tomorrow. <laughs> like, well, it starts the, on a much different note than it did last year. I mean, I think, um, I mean, if you want to just talk about that one game, I think that the line is uh, underestimating uh, home field advantage and the quality of the Rams and the problems and the questions on the, the Bills secondary. Although I guess there's questions with Van Jefferson too. So there's questions whether the Rams have as much receiver depth as they think they do to go up against that Bills secondary. The other one thing I had about the, the Bills defense, and you alluded to this a little bit with them spending on an older pass rusher, is the revamp front four finally ready to kind of take things over the top. You look at the numbers last year, they finished second in pressure rate last season, which is pretty good. I was talking to Brandon B during training camp, and he alluded to that. He said, you know, we got good pressure last year. We just failed to finish off quarterbacks. They finished 11th in sacks last year and eighth in pressure rate on non-blitzes. And that's where Von Miller comes into this entire equation. I think they looked at the problem they've had over the last couple of years, two straight seasons, where late into the year, they just couldn't finish off drives with sacks. And they brought in Von Miller to make sure that didn't happen again. Did they have to pay a premium to do it? Absolutely. But you'd have to hope with him, a step from some of the young guys they drafted last year, kind of the revamped interior. They did a good job of turn, of churning that group again this year. Is that group finally ready to dominate and finish off drives without bringing extra pressure? I think yeah. that's my other big question. Because I would say it's not just adding Von Miller. It's also that I think the expectation can be that Gregory... Rousseau and Boogie Basham will each take a little bit of a step forward. Yeah. One of them might take a big step forward, but you've got a couple of very highly drafted edge rushers in year two. You should expect improvement. And they're going to send waves of, of edge players and of defensive linemen in general. I mean, the, they the amount of depth they Lawson, have on this they still team. Have yeah. It's wild. And that the hope is that Von Miller brings that entire group together. All right. We've asked this question for every team. What does a successful season look like for the Buffalo Bills this year? I think there's Damn. only one answer to this question. <laughs> they got to win it all. They got to win it all. They're the favorites. They go into the season as the favorites. I think if they don't win it all, fans will not see it as a successful season. That that it, may it, not be fair. I'm a great believer that you should enjoy a season, a winning season. You know, not every team gets to win it all every year. Like if you make it to the final four, that's pretty good. But I think since they're going into the season as the favorites, it's going to be seen as a failure if they don't win at all. And, and like I said before, the money and the allocation of resources and how much it changes heading into next year. Listen, as long as Josh Allen is on this team, they'll be relevant. 
they are going to he's going to make this team very good pretty much every single year that he's on the roster. That's what happens when you get a truly elite quarterback. But there are still years where you have a better shot than others. And to me, this is their best shot that they're going to have over the next few seasons based on how much they're paying these guys and based on how open the window is. One guy on the Bills that you can't wait to watch this year. Who is it? I mean, obviously it's Josh Allen. <laughs> First of all, because when he's on, he's fantastic and so much fun to watch, but also because I want to see, is he inconsistent like he was last year, or does he finally bring the consistency to go with the greatness? This will shock you, but based on our metrics, at least, passing DVOA, Allen was about the same as Mac Jones during the regular season last year. If you don't include his rushing value and you only look at the regular season, then in the playoffs, he was unreal, right? But he had those games in the regular season where he, I mean, he showed up. It's not like he was really bad, but he had some games where he was mediocre passing the ball during the regular season. What you'd like to see is for him to not have those games, for him to be maybe not that guy from the playoffs every week, but to be that top five quarterback that everyone thinks he is every week consistently. I think you saw that team really have to sort through some stuff last year. You know, that first game against Pittsburgh comes to mind where they come out, it's three, four wide every single play. Let's spread it out, throw it around. And the Steelers were just running those simulated pressures the entire game saying, you know, we're not going to let you beat us over the top. We're going to put up a ton of bodies in coverage. I think there were moments last year where they struggled against teams doing that to them. And during the back half of the season, when they kind of had that entire stretch, even the second half against Tampa, all the way through the end of the year, I really do feel like they found a formula that worked for them. When they started using those heavier personnel groupings, not being as spread out, they kind of had to problem solve in real time. And if you believe that they figured out a formula that's going to work for them moving forward and with some of the tweaks they have with their personnel and you believe in Dorsey, I do think we're going to see a little bit more consistency and a little bit more consistent efficiency from them over the course of the season and if we see more consistency from them then they've got the road to the number one seed and the number one seed it is you know some number one seeds won't win the the conference like tennessee last year but it's easier to win the conference if you're the number one seed they're the best team it just this looks like it could be their year it would be fun if this was their year right it would be fun to see the bills fans finally get to celebrate a championship it absolutely would because they're an incredibly fun team. How My many guy tables is Isaiah. Will they wreck if they win a championship. It's just like <laughs> there will be no tables. It'll be a supply chain <laughs> issue in Buffalo for the next like five years if this actually happens. My guy is Isaiah McKenzie. I love. It, we, we've talked about this in relation to the Patriots a decent amount. I love when teams kind of find different versions of themselves every year and you stumble into these players that kind of allow you to evolve and change on offense and having him step into a full-time role as their slot guy and how different of a player he is to Cole Beasley. That's fascinating to me. Like, all right, now your slot guy is this dude with a ton of juice who can give you a little bit of vertical stretch, who you can use on these sort of crossing routes vertically that you couldn't do with a guy like Beasley. And we saw what he could be in little tiny flashes last year. That Patriots game obviously comes to mind. But him kind of stepping into a full-time role this year, what does that look like? And I think the Bills have done a really good job over the last three or four seasons, finding different combinations and a different kind of mixture of their pass-catching talent as they've needed to evolve over time. 
And I think that the plan was originally to make Jamison Crowder the slot guy. I think yeah. when they brought him in, he was going to be the slot guy. And he is more similar to Beasley. But I think it's become clear over camp and over the preseason that it's going to be McKenzie more than Crowder. Yep, I totally agree. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Let's get to the Miami Dolphins. How are you feeling about the Miami Dolphins one I think day before it, the season starts? My one word about the Miami Dolphins is curiosity. Yeah, I was like, intrigued as mine. So I the same want page. to see. I want to see them run the Shanahan offense. This is the team that was thirty-first in the league last year in yards after the catch, running the offensive scheme that's been first in the league in yards after the catch pretty much every year. Oh, and by the way, now with Tyreek Hill as their number one receiver, like I want to see what it looks like. I think Miami's offense, they're certainly in the conversation. They might be number one, the unit I am most eager to watch in week one. I just have nothing but questions. Uh, we can get into them right now. I mean, the biggest questions we have about the offense, I've got 10 of them. <laughs> what, will the, what will the offense look like? And, and that includes so many different things. All right. Will it be similar in structure? to what the Niners have been over the last few years. How much play action will they use? How many yak opportunities they try to build into this thing? Are they going to attack the middle of the field at the same rate the Niners used to? How do they use Tyreek Hill? How do they use Jalen Waddell? Is the offensive line good enough to make any of this worth it? Is our two is deep ball numbers from last year a small sample mirage, or can he actually push the ball down the field? Right. I have 50 questions How do they use about Mike what Gusecki, this team looks like. Right, Mike Gusecki, you know, one of the things we measure is yards after catch compared to expectation. Mike Gusecki was terrible last year in yards after catch against expectation it's not how the much kind of, of that player was Gusecki, and how much of that was the scheme and what happens when you put him in this scheme i have a really bad feeling that durham Smythe is going to play more than mike Gusecki this year for the dolphins it, there is you know the whispers coming out about them shopping Gusecki were sort of a signal 
I just don't think he fits what they want to be. Yeah. I feel like them franchising him in the first place with this staff was probably a mistake based on the way that they ultimately want to play. And we'll see what kind of tweaks they make to kind of fit him into their overall plan. But he just isn't the type of player that really fits into this offense based on what we've seen from them over the last few years. But, I mean, you look at it, it seems like the players are in place for them to take step forward, steps forward where they need to. Obviously, Tyreek Hill and now Cedric Wilson is there. Combined with Jalen Waddell, there's a lot of receiving talent. I think the most important question is, what does this offensive line look like after the changes yeah. that they've made? One thing you cannot criticize Miami is that they have not thrown resources at the offensive line. It may not have all worked, <laughs> but right? Like Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt were first and second round picks in the same year. The following year, they take Liam Eichenberg at the top of the second round. And then they spend all this money on Teron Armstead and they spent money on Connor Williams. Not as much, but you know, like they have put both draft and monetary resources into this offensive line. Now we got to see it do its thing. I think the Dolphins over the last few years are a huge indicator of how much offensive line coaching matters and building a support system to see development from that group. They had three different offensive line coaches during Brian Flores' three years there. It's not a surprise to me that they failed to get the most out of those guys they were spending a ton of resources on. So can that change? They brought in a new offensive line coach. He was at Boston College last year. He had been in college for a few years. So we'll see what ultimately ends up happening with that. But they have four guys in starting in new spots this year along the offensive line, right? You've got Toronto Armstead now at left tackle. Liam Eikenberg is playing left guard. They have Connor Williams now playing center, Robert Hunt at right guard, and Austin Jackson at right tackle. So there are a ton of changes with that group this year, whether it's new players or new spots. So now I think they're hoping, can have we finally figured out a combination that works for us here? Right. Because And Eikenberg was a, really bad last year. Yes. I mean, he was thrust into playing left tackle when he probably had no business playing left tackle. Yeah. So him bumping inside, is that a better solution for him? Because you look at their inability to push the ball downfield last year. I mean, all of the numbers just indicate that they just had no confidence in their ability to do that. Tua was 29th in average depth of target. He was dead last in the percentages of his throws that traveled 20 or more air yards last season. Is that a Tua thing or is that a we cannot protect so we can't push the ball down the field thing? And now with better players up front and with a ton more speed on the field, do we see them able to push the ball a little bit more than they did before? It is one of the big questions. I mean, numbers wise, Tua is very similar to Garoppolo, except without any of the yards after the catch, right? Like the other, in the other ways, like completion percentage over expectation and stuff, they're similar in air yards. They were similar. It's just Garoppolo had all these yards after the catch in this offensive scheme and Tua Tagovailoa did not have the yards after the catch. So the question is in this scheme, can Tua be Garoppolo? I'm pretty sure he was sixth in the amount of on target throws deep last year in the NFL. Tua led the league in EPA per dropback on deep passes last year. Yes. If yeah. if you're a Dolphins fan, it is so easy to talk yourself into this. It's like we added a couple offensive linemen. We have Tyreek Hill now. It, the small sample, if we just extrapolate that over an entire season, he absolutely can push the ball down the field. As you start to dig into the numbers, the two and on case becomes more and more, it becomes less and less ridiculous. I start to see the conspiracy people really gaining some traction when you actually look at some of the numbers. Yeah, that's, I mean, my one question, you know, if you could summarize the whole offense in one question, it's 
how could Kintua be in this offense? Like, can he be Garoppolo? Can he be better than Garoppolo? Or is he not going to be as good? Is it going to be more like C.J. Beathard? Like, what are we going to see from him in this offense? And I think some of two, two his issues are, you know, being able to make decisions when the picture changes and some of the pre-snap stuff. Now he's walking into an offense where the play caller is trying to play quarterback. And I think that might be the best use of his talent. And because he's an accurate quarterback, I think he can place the ball in the middle of the field in the way that they want him to. So we'll see what ultimately happens. But I think this is the best chance for him to succeed. All right. His performance is not out of line for what a good quarterback looks like in their first couple of years as they are developing. It's not like people talk about Tua like he's terrible. Like he's not. He's been pretty average. Yeah, I think that he's probably limited with his physical skill set, but so is Jimmy Garoppolo. And placed into the right circumstances, this offense, I think, has a chance to be a pretty good. All right, your biggest question about the Dolphins' defense this year? Uh, My biggest question about the defense is, can they continue to bring the pressure? Uh, Our numbers have them leading the NFL in pressure rate last year. They were fourth in adjusted sack rate. Emmanuel Ogba, who nobody talks about, has had 40, 40 hurries. In two straight seasons, Melvin Ingram is now in town. Like this defense should continue to be good if they can continue to bring the pressure to take that would take the pressure off the cornerbacks uh, where Byron Jones has not been as good as he was in Dallas and is also, by the way, out for the first few weeks. I mean, their numbers are a total outlier with how much man they play and how much pressure that they bring. That's how this team lives. And I'm curious, what does that formula look like without Brian Flores there? Because I think that's how he wants to live. And they carry over the defensive coordinator, and I think that they'll have the same plan, right? But what does it look like without him at the center of this? And that's how they've lived. They were seventh in pressure rate even without blitzing last season. They were ninth in pass rush win rate. Now you have Melvin Ingram, like you said, Trey Flowers is in the mix year two of Jalen Phillips and does that combination of we're going to bring extra bodies and play man coverage on third down how does that work because on third down last year on plays that didn't include a sack they were 18th in EPA per drop back on third down so if they don't get there can the secondary hold up especially without Byron Jones that's my biggest question right and like I said Jones has not his coverage cornerback coverage stats have not been very good since he left Dallas and without him in there they have Noah Igbenogene, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Igbenogamy. Igbenogany. 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 He now has to become a starter on the outside. And he's never quite developed from what they thought when they took him in the first round uh, a couple of years ago. So, uh, yeah, the, the pressure needs to get there or that secondary. I mean, keep away from Xavier and Howard, but otherwise that secondary is going to have lapses. Yeah, that that's my question, is what's going to happen at outside corner in the meantime while well, – Byron Jones is out because Ignogamy has been, you know, a disappointment so far. Struggled to get on the field at times, and, and now they're really thrusting him into that role. The safeties are very good. You know, they have the combination of those three guys with Javon Holland and Eric Rowe is kind of their third safety now. They played more with 60 Bs last year than any other team in the NFL. I assume that will continue this year because their flexibility on the back end is a big part of how they've built this roster. Something I found fascinating last year, digging into some of the numbers. Here are the top six teams in EPA per drop back on early downs from last year. Okay. Number one was Buffalo. Number two was Dallas. Three was Miami. Four was Tampa. Cleveland was five. Denver six. New England seven. New Orleans eight. Six of those teams finished in the top seven and how often they played man on third down or on first and second down. Buffalo, Dallas, Miami, 
Denver, New England, and New Orleans were all in the top seven in man coverage percentage on early downs. So they were outliers in how they played those early downs, and they were successful in doing it. So I'm wondering if throwing a little bit of a curveball and playing man on some of these early down plays has given that group of defenses a little bit of an advantage in those situations. Because there's almost a total overlap between the teams that were really good at defending the pass on early downs and the teams that played an abnormal amount of man coverage on those early downs. It's interesting. I would have to go look at that number and how it comes out in our numbers. For I'm surprised to hear Denver in that group. Because Denver's defense last year, I've been talking about it. This gets away from the AFC East, but I've been talking about it a lot. By our numbers and by some other numbers, Denver's defense was a little bit of a mirage last year. They were only 20th in the league in yards per drive allowed, despite being like second in points allowed. It's just they were never on the field because their offense played at a really (laughs) slow pace. And they had a really good starting field position, so offenses had to go longer against them. So I'm really surprised to hear Denver in that group of really good defenses on first and second down. I don't know what their third down numbers were. Maybe they created on third down. We'd have to take a look at that. And the other group in that in that top eight that I mentioned was Tampa. They were fourth. Tampa had the highest blitz rate on early downs in the entire league. So all of these teams in here are playing a little bit different, or at least played a little bit different on early downs last year than most teams around the league. And I think they found a little bit of an advantage in doing that. The last thing I'll say about the defense, they have a nice little core of young players you know, they've drafted pretty poorly on offense, and they ha- really haven't gotten the most out of a lot of the guys that they swung on. But Christian Wilkins, Zach Seiler, Javon Holland, they've got some pieces on that side of the ball that I think are pretty intriguing and I think allow them to play the way that they want to play, which is different than a lot of teams around the league want to. Yeah, they've done good drafting. Christian Wilkins is a good player. Jalen Phillips was like number one in our Saxier projections last year, so I would expect more development from him. It's just, it's the cornerback is where the question, because uh, Igbenigany did not, has just not worked out. (laughs) I'm going to continue to mangle his name. We'll we'll get there. We'll eventually get there. All right. What does a successful season look like for the Dolphins this year? Make the playoffs. Yeah. I had a wild card berth, and I I think I have two two more things I throw in there. A confirmation that Mike McDaniel is one of those guys. Just one of those guys is a play-calling head coach that's going to get the most from your players on that side of the ball. The advantage, if you can find one of those guys, is so incredibly big because it just creates an ecosystem that gets the most out of your offensive players. And that is such an advantage throughout the league. And then the third one is, if Tua hits... Like, let's say by the end of this year, they're like, he's the guy. We feel like we can really win with him moving forward. I think that's a win. Or you have to carve that. You have to tally that up in the win column for them as well. Yeah, but I think... um... I mean, if that happens, but they miss the playoffs, I don't, I don't think fans will see it as a hugely successful season. Like they'll be, you know, they'll talk about how great things can be for 2023, but I think they want to make the playoffs. Yeah. And now I think Tua being the guy is more important than it probably was a month ago because they no longer have two first round picks. If they want to go take a swing on somebody, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Correct. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Dolphins. Can I say Mike McDaniel? Sure. That's totally fine. (laughs) I mean, that, right? I mean, our number one question about this team is primarily what's going to happen? How does the scheme work for this team? And that means McDaniel. I mean, he's the interesting guy to watch. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I have Javon Holland. I, I just love him as a player, all the different ways they use him, you know, as a blitzer in coverage. He's so perfect for the way they want to play defense. And I, I think he has a chance to really emerge as a star this year. So I'm going to throw him out there. All right. I'm going to let you have this one. How are we feeling about the Patriots the day before the season starts here? Skeptical. 
<laughs> feeling skeptical. This is either going to be, this is either going to be the final, uh, you know, signature on Belichick's Hall of Fame plaque of how incredible he is, or it's going to be a train wreck. Like, I mean, it, it could be something in the middle and they go nine and eight and miss the playoffs, but it's not terrible. But my God, those look like two distinct possibilities. Like either, like we are all just underestimating Belichick's ability to manage both sides of the ball without a named coordinator, or he is overestimating his ability to manage both sides of the ball <laughs> without a name. Right. Because there's this feeling that he has dipped a lot into the defensive prep over the last couple of years. Like, yes, Steve Belichick is there. Yes. Gerard Bayo is there, but he's dipped a lot. Now he's going to have to dip a lot into the offensive prep too. How much time does he have? So let's, let's start with the offense. And to me, the biggest question about the offense is probably what, they get out of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And I I understand the argument that people have made or the case that people have made that, well, they didn't want to name an offensive coordinator because that allows these guys to keep getting paid by the teams that they're currently paying them because they're head coach contracts and they don't have to face the media every single week. That's fine. But you could have done that with anybody. You didn't have to make these guys the de facto offensive coordinators. You could have brought somebody else in and called them a senior offensive assistant rather than saying that they're the offensive coordinator. Picking two guys who've never called offensive plays and two guys that have barely coached offense, that's not what needed to happen if your point here was to get them paid and not make them talk to the media. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, do you want to hear me rant about the same thing? I mean, it would have been nice to get some new blood in here. It would have been nice to get some new thoughts. If they wanted to switch to a more Shanahan-like offensive scheme with more zone blocking, which is what the word is that they're doing, maybe bring in someone from that group. Maybe bring in someone from that tree and make that person your offensive coordinator. There's also the question of Patricia calling the plays and being the offensive line coach, which Greg Bedard brought up today at bostonsportsjournal.com, where if Patricia needs to go talk to Belichick about how the offensive play calling is going and then sit down with the offensive line, what if the defense gives up quick score and then he doesn't have time to sit down with the offensive line, right? There's been this running theme through this show. We've been talking about the importance of offensive line coaching. Well, Patricia's the offensive line coach. Like, what if he's not doing the offensive line coaching because he's too busy calling the plays? That, to me, is even crazier than him being the offensive play caller. The idea that you're going to switch blocking schemes and you're going to hand the offensive line over to someone who has never coached the position before, it's not as if this team and this organization has multiple decades of evidence that having an offensive line coach that gets the most out of that position group is one of the biggest cheat codes you can have in the entire NFL. They literally had the best offensive line coach ever for 20 years, and it was a huge thing that fueled their success, and now they're making their offensive line coach someone who has never been an offensive line coach coach, but happened to play offensive line in college. Yeah, this is where the word skeptical comes in, right? Like, I mean, this is either Belichick's greatness or Belichick's humor. It's just crazy. Like, I, every time I think about it, every time I spend more than five minutes thinking about it, it gets more and more ridiculous. Try Maybe it works out, but it radio. is, I just, I, I cannot believe that this is the plan that they landed on. And if it somehow works out and Bill Belichick is playing like seven dimensional chess here, I will happily be wrong. But it is kind of shocking to me that this is where we are. 
Yeah, it is. And it feels like it could be, I mean, it could, like I said, it could be average. Like they could come out and I mean, their offense was so good by advanced stats last year because of certain games where they clobbered like Cleveland and Tennessee. Yeah. It's not going to be that good again, but they could come out and have a good offense, you know, and then go nine and eight and whatever. And then it's not a train wreck, but it's also not a like dramatic victory, but my God, the chances that it will be a train wreck. And what will that do to Mac Jones? How will that hurt Mac Jones and his development if this offensive line is a train wreck? Well, I also think the personnel is fine, right? Even after losing Shaq Mason, they drafted Cole Strange in the first round, so they have him, him stepping in. Except for Flipping. whatever the heck is going on with Isaiah Wynn. Whatever has them going on, maybe we'll trade Isaiah Wynn, or is Isaiah Wynn, can, can Isaiah Wynn stay healthy? or what? I don't know what is going on with that guy. But I agree with you. The Cole Strange pick probably replaces you know Mason. That's That's fine. Well, if they get hurt along the offensive line, I think that's a big issue because they've had depth there the last couple of years when Owenu was a when he was on the bench and they had a couple of guys that could step in and play when necessary. I think that's more of a concern this year. But if their starting eleven stays healthy for most of the season, the personnel is fine. Like the receiving group doesn't have any stars, but the pieces fit together in a way that makes sense to me with Myers and Parker and Bourne and Aguilar. You know, I really do think that that group is fine. I think it's about whether the scheme and whether them putting them in the right positions is a real thing and what they get for Mac Jones here in year two. And, and I don't know how to answer either of those until we see what this thing actually looks like. I am with you uh, completely, except except with the fear as a Patriots fan that the nonsense with the scheme and the line will set Jones back. I'm curious how teams are going to play against them. Last year, they played 37% man coverage against the Patriots, which led the NFL. Mac Jones was blitzed at the second highest rate in the league last year. So do they have an answer for that? And with better receiving talent, theoretically, do teams play less man coverage against them? That's something that I think I'd be looking at if I were a Patriots fan. I don't think so, because I don't think the receiving talent is that much. I mean, Devontae Parker is a nice piece, but he's never been what he was supposed to be. So I don't think uh, you'd have the exact same receiving talent, except now you have Devontae Parker. I don't think that changes how much you blitz Mac Jones. I'm curious, where do you, if, as someone who watches this team all the time, where do you want to see Mac Jones take a step this year? I mean, deep throwing. You want to see better deep throws. You want to see them hang less. You want to see him try to do them more often. I mean, that's what you want to see. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, Tyquan Thornton obviously was somebody they brought in to make something like that happen. He's going to be out for at least half the season. I, I, by all accounts, Aguilar has had a good camp. And if he yeah. can be a vertical presence for them and be b more impactful than he was last year, I think that would go a long way in bringing the rest of that group together. And Bourne has had a weird camp. Yes, he has. But he was number one in receiving DVOA last year among receivers with at least 50 targets. So he had a quite a good season last year and I think is a good player. All right. Biggest question about the defense. What do you got? Uh, cornerbacks. How do they live without J.C. Jackson? I mean, are, are we really talking about Jalen Mills as the cornerback one? Are We really we certainly are. Are we talking about Jonathan Jones on the outside instead of in the slot? How much are we going to see the rookies, Jack Jones and Marcus Jones? Are we really talking about playing those guys a lot as rookies? Like, There's a lot of questions about the cornerback position for this team. Yeah, Jalen Mills and Jonathan Jones are penciled in on the outside right now. Miles Bryant is going to be the starting nickel with Marcus Jones potentially waiting in the wings. And I know that this team played less man coverage on third down 
last year than they have in the past, but they still played the third most in the NFL. 60% of their third down snaps, they were in man coverage. They ask a lot out of these guys. I mean, this is a scheme and a defense that puts a lot on their corners, and corner is probably the biggest question on the entire roster. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of three safeties. So they'll play a lot yes. with three safeties, either nickel as with they three should. safeties or dime with three corners and three safeties, because not only do they have Duggar, Phillips, and McCourty, but they also now have Jabril Peppers. And I think part of that is getting the linebackers off the field in coverage, right? You, you don't yeah. want Jaquan Bentley out there on third down, and they have the players to do that. I mean, the best, I think, part of this entire roster is the safety group with Phillips and McCourty and Duggar and what they allow you to do. So I would have to assume they're going to live in those 6DB looks. But even with that, I think there are still huge questions about who the corners are and how effective they're going to be in those situations. Yeah, I mean, it was really... Um, yeah, JC Jackson was tremendously good for the last couple of years. And this team has had a clear number one corner for a while now. They had Tlaib and they had Rivas and then they had Stefan Gilmore. And then they had when JC Jackson had developed. And now uh, there's not one. I'm wondering if they don't play as much man coverage. Oh, I'm sure they're playing more zone. Yeah, they're playing more zone. No question about it. And what does that look like? I mean, this is a team that has loved to play a lot of man over the last few years. It's been their identity. And if they go away from that, what ultimately happens because I think with the guys they currently have, it might have to be a step that they take. The other thing I'd say, what does the other pass rushing spot look like opposite Matt Judon? They were better at creating pressure on non-blitzes last year than I thought. I think Christian Barmore was a reason for that. But who is the other guy on the other edge outside of Judon? Because so far, I don't think they've found that guy over the last couple seasons because the guys they've drafted really haven't come on. No, and it's a, a kind of an interesting scheme where Judon's a linebacker, but the other edge is a defensive end, and it's going to be yep. Dietrich Wise a lot, but it, can it be Uche? And and then they've got a, a, a an undrafted free agent named Demarcus Mitchell as their depth. Mm. Like, they could definitely <laughs> use more pass rush opposite Judon. All right. What does a successful season look like for the Patriots? Well... I mean, I don't think this season is happening, given my skepticism, but I think that for a successful season, you have to develop and be better than last year. Mac Jones has to be a little better, and better than last year means either you go 11-6 and or you win in the first round. One of those two things has to happen for this to be considered a successful season. Seems like a tall order. It seems like quite a tall order, given what? we feel about the offense and the defense. This team looks like it is on the downswing. No question about it. It's so weird because they're capped out right now. And they came into the season with almost no financial flexibility because of the way they spent last spring, but they can get out of a lot of those contracts next spring. So they can walk into next off season and really have a lot of flexibility in how they remake the roster, which after the way that the last two years have gone, that's kind of weird you know, they pushed all their chips in to be good right away. And I don't know what to what end that was. It's just a very strange bit of team building. Like, I just don't exactly understand what they're trying to accomplish or who they want to be both in the short term and over the next like two to three years. I feel like there's this feeling of like, let's just make the playoffs every year. Like they're not, yeah. it doesn't feel like they're trying to like, they don't want to rebuild. They did the one year that was kind of rebuilding. And even in that year, they didn't like, they didn't crash out. They were whatever, seven and nine or whatever. And then I'll go back to the playoffs immediately, which is great, but it doesn't build a Super Bowl. Like they're like floating around in this land of nine and eight in this sort of in-between land and kind of hoping that 
that Belichick's greatness lifts them out of it, I guess. All right, one guy in the Patriots you can't wait to watch this year. Christian Barmore is going to wreck some games, man. I don't know yeah. how he drafted them in the second round, but he's a really good player. And uh, Christian Barmore is definitely the guy to watch on this defense. It's always fun when that like a young ascending interior pass rusher comes into the league. I love watching those guys. You know, Jonathan Allen has first couple seasons. Those guys are always really, really fun. Minus Kyle Duggar. I, I just think that he's such a fascinating talent in the way that they're going to deploy him. We talked about those three safety looks that they have. I think he allows them to create that flexibility on defense that they really love. So him kind of really ascending this year would be fun. All right. New York Jets. How are we feeling about the Jets this year? I'm feeling kind of apathetic about the Jets. And <laughs> we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and you're right. Like, there are a lot of interesting parts on the Jets, but I feel like the whole is less interesting than the sum of its parts. Does that make sense? Like, because, you know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in the quarterback. Like, the parts that are developing, I don't really have, you know, that much faith that it's going to turn into a winning season or even an interesting season because the quarterback, I don't have much faith in the quarterback. So here's my prevailing thought about the Jets. They've done what they could with the resources that they had. You know, it, in all of the draft picks that they have, all the financial flexibility, I think they've built up the roster in the right ways. You know, you look at the defensive line depth that they've built, you know, trading up for Jermaine Johnson, having him be in the mix now, all of the players that they have kind of trying to rebuild that model that really worked in San Francisco for Sala. You have the pass catchers now with Garrett Wilson there and Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, and they have a couple tight ends. Their offensive line, even after losing Becton, Dwayne Brown, I think is a more than serviceable solution at left tackle. The interior of the offensive line has a chance to be pretty good with AVT and Tomlinson. And now it leads me to the biggest question that I have about the offense. What happens with Zach Wilson? Because that's really all that matters. Everything they've built around him, I think, makes total sense. But if Zach Wilson can't bring it all together, then it's all for naught, and it leaves you kind of needing a new quarterback. And I think that now becomes really the only question that matters with this team. Yeah, and that's what I put as my biggest question was, can Zach Wilson be any good? Because the fact is, you don't write guys off after rookie years. And there's plenty of quarterbacks who have been highly drafted, been really bad as rookies, and gotten it together in their second years but he was really bad as a rookie. And part of it was he just could not take checkdowns. Like he just, he just, everything had to be try to play hero ball and um, it didn't work. The support system was really, really bad last year. The injuries that they had at receiver, all the moving parts along the offensive line teams played man coverage against the jets at the second highest rate in the NFL last year. He was comfortably the worst quarterback in the league against man coverage by EPA per drop back. He took 25 sacks against man coverage last year. No one in the league was better was over 18. He had a 16.7% sack rate when teams played man against the jets last year. You would hope that with better receivers, with another year in the system, that some of those numbers improve, right? With Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore out there, our team's a little bit more weary about playing a lot of man coverage. If the offensive line is better, is he taking fewer sacks? A little bit more confidence, is he willing to take some of those easy completions and those layups that he wasn't willing to take last year? But those are all questions. Until we see it, we have no idea what that's going to look like. I can't imagine that he won't be better, but he has to be a lot. He almost has to be. To be good. Yes. It's a long, long way to go. I mean, some of those numbers last year were absolutely horrendous. And you would hope 
that with a little bit better play around him, with better players around him, that that takes a step forward. I mean, this team, this team is forced, was fourth in cash spending this offseason. The only teams in the NFL to spend more in cash this spring than the Jets were the Rams, the Bills, and the Saints. Like, they've really tried to microwave this thing to get at least decent pretty fast. And now it has to happen. If he's terrible this year, this becomes a very interesting spot for any quarterback who wants to force their way out of town the following year. Yes. And because they, there's no slow playing it anymore. Like what they've done to try to make this team competitive right now, I think that definitely speeds up the clock on somebody like Zach Wilson, even after two years. All right. Biggest question you have about the Jets defense heading into the season. The biggest question about the Jets defense is whether the football outsiders projections for the Jets defense are on crack. <laughs> because we actually have them as a top 10 projected defense after they wow. were the worst defense in the league last year. Think of all the talent that was added to this defense. Carl Lawson, back from injury. LaMarcus Joyner, back from injury. Jordan Whitehead. DJ Reed. Sauce Gardner. Jermaine Johnson. They have added a lot of talent to this defense. And it should be much better. And we know they have a defense-first head coach who has had a really good defense in the past in San Francisco that wasn't really good his first year there, but that he built into being really good. So he's done it before. He could do it again. Are we on crack or not? So you said all the guys that are going to play for them this year. The guys I had listed in my notes are the ones that played for them last year. So these are the guys in the defensive backfield who played at least 745 snaps for the Jets last year. Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, and Ashton Davis. None of them will start this year. All the guys right. that you mentioned will be the ones that are playing last year or this year. If you look at the defensive line, they only had two guys with more than 25 pressures last season because of Carl Lawson getting hurt and just a lack of players anywhere else. Now you've got Jermaine Johnson in the rotation, Michael Clemens in the rotation, Carl Lawson back, John Franklin Myers likely bumping inside in a lot of these looks because they have more edge depth. Every part of this defense should be significantly better than it was last year. I was kind of shocked that they were dead last in DVOA because of Sala, because of the investments that they had made. But if you look at just how hurt they were and how much better the talent is this year, I don't think it's crazy to think they're going to take a pretty substantial jump. Jacob Martin is an interesting player. Right, Speaking they have so players. many guys like, to throw at the problem. Is pa- all that rushing. cap spending you talked about was that cap was mostly on defense. Like they have added a lot of interesting pieces on defense, so it doesn't result in them being projected to be a really good team because defensive projections have a much smaller range than offensive projections. Like it's much better to be the number ten projected offense than the number ten projected defense. But we have their defense improving significantly this year, and they've got the coach to make it happen. I feel like they were really scrambling as they were looking for answers last year. Only the Dolphins played more man coverage on third down last season, which is kind of out of character for Salah. I have to assume that's just because they had so many moving pieces in the secondary. It was easier to say, you got, you have that guy. Like, Don't yeah. worry about it. Except the Playing guy man- you were saying that you have that guy too was Brandon Eccles. That's the issue, is that it's easier to play man coverage because you're less dependent on the players around you, but you're still relying on guys that shouldn't be on islands in those situations. This is the stat that I loved. 
the Jets blitzed at the highest rate in the NFL last season on third down. Okay. Higher than the Dolphins, higher than any of these blitz happy teams that we talk about. Salah does like to bring pressure on third down. He did it more with the Niners than you might think, given their defensive line situation, but they still cranked it up last year. They were 29th in pressure, in pressure rate, despite finishing number one in blitz rate on third down. That's almost impossible to do. That's bad. So you'd have to hope that with better players in those situations this year, they're going to be better at creating pressure. They're going to be better in all of those scenarios. So 32 to 10 is a pretty big jump, but I think their defense has a chance to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I, um, I, we, we have them projected to be pretty good. And the, so then it all comes down to Zach Wilson, right? If Zach yeah. Wilson can play well and their defense takes a big step forward, all of a sudden this team is a shocking wildcard contender. Is, does it take that to be a successful season as we transition into that conversation? Yes. I think that a successful season for the Jets is anything where Zach Wilson looks like a real NFL starting quarterback. Like yeah, I said, everything, I don't, I don't know if it counts as a successful season if everything else looks really good and Wilson looks so bad that they have to replace him next year. I feel like you, you can have some optimism going into 2023 that way. But that still doesn't really feel like a successful season. Like, I feel like Wilson has to take the step forward for it to be seen as a real successful season, even if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I said nine wins and a huge step forward from Zach Wilson. Their over-under is five and a half. Nine is a lot better than five and a half. A 500 record and Zach Wilson looking like a real boy at quarterback. That's what I was going for, Bauer. Zach Wilson looking like a real boy at quarterback. I think that is a successful season for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it needs the winning record. I think if they go seven and ten or eight and nine, but Wilson by the end of the year is looking pretty good, like not not necessarily pretty good, but like even if he only looks average, that's such a step up from what he looked like last year that you can see another step coming. That is a successful season. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I, I'm mostly thinking about Jets fans when I say, God, just let us win nine games and, and be competitive every single week because I, I know a lot of them are teetering on the edge of sanity right now. Yeah, but I mean, I think if you give them hope for the future with the quarterback, that give them hope for 2023, even if they're eight and nine, they'll take it. All right, one guy you can't wait to watch on the Jets. Garrett Wilson. I mean, they have so many young guys. I mean, I, I have Sauce Gardner as mine. I mean, when you have all those first-round picks, you got yeah. a lot of options to choose from. Yeah, I mean, Garrett Wilson is a really good receiver who had some questions about root running, but he's got so much speed. And, um, and you know, I would love to see if Wilson wants to play hero ball, Garrett Wilson is a great guy to play it to. But I agree with Sauce Gardner. I mean, Sauce Gardner had amazing stats in college. What happens when you translate that to the NFL? It's a good question. Yeah, with him and DJ Reed now on the outside and just how different that cornerback loop group can potentially look this year, it's how you build the case for them taking such a huge jump on defense. So I think that the middle of the road and something around 500 is probably the best case scenario. But if they can get there and Wilson takes a step forward, I do think there's reason for optimism in the way that Joe Douglas has built this thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that for what Jets fans are not looking for is to be the miracle team of 2022. They're looking for the evidence that they're going to be the miracle team of 2023. Yep. That's a great way to put it. Absolutely. All right. Aaron Schatz, thank you very much for the time, my friend. 
give people the, the sell one more time on the Football Outsiders Almanac. Yeah, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, over 550 pages of season previews, tons of advanced stats, tons of write-ups on every team, all the fantasy football players, you know, skill positions, and some college write-ups as well. You can get it on Amazon or at our site, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to become an FO Plus subscriber and get the Almanac and our Kubiak fantasy tool and picks against the spread and all kinds of fantasy stat tools and our new filter DVOA by week feature so that you can filter and look at like, you know, only games where Kyler Murray was healthy or whatever else you want to look at. So all that's at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, 10% off until the start of the season. Awesome. Thanks, man. Really appreciate the time. When we're talking about subscriptions, please subscribe to the Athletic Football Show on YouTube. There is a link in the show description below to get to our YouTube page. We're going to be doing a ton of new video content this year. So please go subscribe right now. Also, we're doing a picks contest on the Athletic Football Show this year on Run Your Pool. Thanks to them. There is also a link in the show description below. We're up to about 900 people in there. Let's get over 1,000 before the season starts. Let's get 1,200 before the season starts. Go sign up. Five games against the spread every single week. Me and Nate are going to be doing it. We will be really taking on a ton of criticism for how terrible we're doing as we check in on that throughout the season. So really looking forward to that. For now, me and Nate will be back tomorrow. We're going to be making some predictions, some awards, all that good stuff. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans. This is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.